going to start two minutes early. Well, one minute, depending on if you're looking at that clock or the one on my, on my phone. But um, in, anyway, uh, I, I am so excited tonight because really for the first time, I had questions emailed to me. Uh, from Sunday's message. And usually, you know, I'm like, are there any questions? And crickets chirp. And then we, uh, then we go on and, and, I, and I talk about something. But uh, everything tonight is from some questions that were emailed in, and they're really good questions. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, so there aren't outlines because everything is, is based on the questions that I received. But uh, I, I typed out what my answers are, and so I'm happy to make these available um, if you'd like them. Now, they're, they're my notes, so they make about as much sense as I do, but, um, uh, but I'm, I'm happy to, to distribute these and make these available, and so just uh, let me know. I even misspelled the word question on one of them, so question. Yeah, so somebody asked me a question um, on that. So, uh, but before I get to these, were there any questions any of you had from uh, about Sunday's message or uh, anything like that? Oh, you do? I am so sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. For those of you listening, um, uh, Susan said that uh, her Sunday school class goes along. Uh, so y'all use the discussion questions? Uh, Wow, it's almost like it's almost like we planned it or something. Yeah, so um, so yeah, it seems like there's a uh, we're we're in sync with uh, with that. So yeah, Susan's saying that um, things go along with the message and uh, that um, the 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 distinction between happiness and joy that I talked about Sunday was meaningful. So yeah, um, I, I know it's it's funny because. Uh, I didn't. I didn't go any deeper into it. But there's that whole idea of a joy unspeakable and full of glory, a peace that passes, peace that surpasses understanding. You know, and both of those are kind of like, why am I peaceful right now? You know, in the middle of a storm, why is there this joy that I? And it's because the, our joy is in the Lord, not in our circumstances, and our peace is in is in uh, not necessarily Him calming the storm, but calming us within the storm. So, um, yeah, well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Cool. Um, anything else from Sunday before I jump into these questions? Oh, Gary? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I, and uh, Gary knows now I'll talk back to him. So uh, we'll, we're going to have some fun. So, well, good. All right, let me jump into these. This is uh, some good stuff. So uh, I'm going to read all the questions to you. And uh, then you can tell me which one you want me to start with, okay? So here's, here's these in no particular order. Uh, Rev Kev, my question is about the human part of Jesus. Was he really tempted like we are? Like, could he have given in to temptation and sinned? Okay, so that's, that's one. Uh, question from Sunday, Kevin. There's an old saying that to err is human. So what kind of human was Jesus if he was perfect? And how similar to Jesus' humanity would ours be if we're not perfect? Okay, uh, here's another one. I'm confused about something with the Trinity. Yeah, uh, get in line. Uh, if Jesus is fully God and God is fully in Jesus, then what happened at the crucifixion when Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Did God the Father separate from Jesus in that moment? If so, did Jesus cease to be God at that moment? If not, why would Jesus say all that? It's, it's confusing. Um, you said on the podcast Tuesday, so this one's from the podcast, that going to heaven is not the point of Christianity. I've never heard a pastor say that. Do you even believe in heaven? I do. Um, so if going to heaven is not the point, then why should anyone become a Christian? Okay, that's good. Uh, and uh, the, the last question on here is, if we're not supposed to mix Jesus and politics, then what are we supposed to do as Christians when we're trying to decide how to vote and how to be faithful uh, as citizens in this country? What do you want first? <laughs> Somebody said they wanted to get the political beep out of the way. See, I beeped it for you. I bleeped it for you. All right. Okay, good. Well, no, that's good. Uh, so for that, let's, uh, let's turn over to Mark. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And uh, yeah, I think this one is good, especially in light of, uh, you know, there was a lot of attention on the Virginia governor race last night and a lot of, and the New Jersey governor race. And, and then they're already talking about what's going to happen in uh, 2024. Um, yeah, so I was like, oh, no, not again. Um, anyway, all right, Kevin, why don't you stop talking and get over to Mark chapter 12. Okay, in Mark chapter 12, there is probably one of the more popular um, uh, instances of Jesus facing political questions, okay? Um, let's see, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse... 13. Okay. And they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. I'm reading from the New American Standard, so it'll be a little choppy. Okay. And they came to him and they said, teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one for you are not partial to any, but you teach the way of God in truth. So is it lawful to pay the tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness uh, and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. All right. So there's a lot there that's easy to read over, and I think can actually give, uh, give us as Christians a very good... Um, uh, very good guardrails, okay? Guardrails and parameters uh, from which we can interact with and I think faithfully practice Christian witness in uh, our increasingly polarized political churches and world, okay? So the first thing to, to, to consider is that um, whenever Jesus really talks about... Um, uh, Whenever Jesus models how to think about political realities, he is, um, he's very sensible. Okay? He's very sensible. Uh, but he doesn't give everybody what they want. And so what they're trying to do to Jesus is get him to come down on a side. Take a stand, Jesus. Okay? Um, first thing to notice is that the, the partnership here is with the Pharisees and the Herodians. 
Those two groups absolutely despised each other. Yet they were willing to join forces to trap Jesus. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I think that in and of itself is a lesson in how politics, when, when politics is the, the method by which we form an identity, it's very easy to form some very unholy alliances. Okay, And we will compromise in so many areas when political identity is, is uh, kind of what, what motivates us more than anything. So the Pharisees and Herodians couldn't get together on anything else, but they sure could get together on trying to trap Jesus. All right, So they're together, they've got this plan. And what they wanted to do, they wanted to take him down. It was a question about taxes and politics. And the very clear motive was to trip Jesus up with a gotcha question. And the point of the question was to put Jesus in a position to where he couldn't say yes, and he couldn't say no, and he couldn't say nothing. Okay? Seemed like a no-win situation for, for Jesus. But he amazed them. He gave them an amazing answer. So how did he do it? So the first thing that he does is he doesn't stoop to, and I'm going to give you, uh, give you three things here. He doesn't stoop to political simplicity. Okay, he doesn't give in to political simplicity. He doesn't give them, he doesn't come down on a side. And this is, this is important because what was happening here is uh, Jesus has cleansed the temple by this time. Jesus has proclaimed the coming of the kingdom. And what's interesting is that Jesus was one of many people who had come before saying they were the Messiah and they were going to bring about uh, a complete um, change in the world. Well, uh, just before Jesus uh, had been uh, another Messiah type uh, figure, and I, thi I think his name was Judas the Galilean, okay? But, um, and he had, he cleansed the temple, he proclaimed the coming of the kingdom, and then he marshaled a revolt, an armed revolt, a violent revolt against the Roman authorities that was very, very quickly and bloodily put down. Now, Jesus has come on the scene, and he's cleansed the temple. He's proclaiming the coming of the kingdom, and everybody's waiting for the next part, the political takeover, the hostile takeover, taking, taking Jerusalem back for God. Sound familiar? taking America back for God, okay? Just insert nation here, okay? Jesus doesn't do that. Let's look at what Jesus does. In Mark 12, in uh, verse 14, they say, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? We got him. We got him. And Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? So he calls out the motive for their question. Why are you trying to trap me? And he doesn't, he doesn't give in to it. So he doesn't cave into that simplistic way of saying you, you have to be either here or here. In fact, when, when uh, kind of the arc of Scripture is kind of an ambivalent uh, posture of Christians toward the state. It's kind of ambivalent. And so he doesn't bow to that. Instead, he turns the question around, why are you trying to trap me? Why are you trying to uh, pin me down with a gotcha question? 
Uh, it's kind of like when Joshua went to the angel of the Lord and said, are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, neither. I'm here. I am on my side. <laughs> I am on my side. The question, Joshua, is whose side are you on? So when Jesus talks about our relationship with him, this is what you'll find in the Gospels. He is very simple and very clear. When Jesus is asked about our relationship to the state or political power, his answers are nuanced, complex, and even ambivalent. Okay, And so when we give in to political simplicity, it's all either this or it's all either this, then we are and, and saying that that's where Jesus is, wherever that is. We're doing to Jesus what he didn't do himself. Simplicity of faith should not equate to simplistic thinking. Okay, Simplistic thinking. Jesus redefines what it means for followers to think well about political issues. So he doesn't give in to the either or because neither the Pharisees nor the Herodians had it all right, okay? Neither the Republicans nor the Democrats have it all right. And if you belong to either one of those parties, that's fine. The problem that I see anymore is that if someone identifies as a Republican and then becomes critical of their own party, then they're labeled a rhino, a Republican in name only. And the Democrats, dino, you know, or a closet Republican. And I think the healthiest way to, the healthiest kind of relationship that we should have with any earthly entity and institution is one where we are supportive and critical at the same time. And so I would say to anyone, you're falling into political simplicity. How do you know if you've done that? You're falling into political simplicity if, you've, if you're part of a, of, a, of a political party and you have absolutely no criticism for your own party. If, there, if you have no criticism for your own party, then, then you have fallen into political simplicity um, because any human-run agency... And both platforms have planks that are not in sync with biblical teaching, okay? Um, and uh, what I find is that usually with the Democratic platform, it, it tends to be planks of the platform that are related uh, to, to, to morality and sexuality. But in the, in the Republican platform, often it's planks related to finance and, and uh, business dealings, um, where... Yeah, you can make a lot of money, but is it, is it just or unjust in, in that? And, and so, um, you know, nobody's nailing it. Nobody's getting it all down. And so Jesus doesn't align. Because if Jesus says yes to the tax, then all of his talk about the kingdom is irrelevant. Because they're saying, oh, he's siding with Rome. If he says no to the tax, then the Roman authorities are like, oh, he is an insurrectionist. We got to take him out. If he says nothing, everybody gets to fill in the blanks for themselves. See? So he doesn't fall into that simplicity. Jesus both resonates and defies at the same time. And that's part of what was so amazing. Okay? Are we able to do that? Are you able to do that in whatever party you belong to? Um, well, and that's part of our challenge. If we're never critical of our own party, if we're never critical of, of, of the 
part we belong to, then we're really not thinking. And we're really not, we're really part of the problem. I don't mean to sound ugly, but we're really part of the problem because it's a lack of self-awareness and a lack of, of, of self-reflection um, that keeps that really keeps progress from being made because it's a lot easier to look at the other side and consider them godless liberal or godless you know, uh, bigots or, or whatever because as long as I'm pointing at you and making a villain out of you, then I don't have to deal with my own stuff personally and I don't have to deal with the stuff within my own uh, organization. So Jesus doesn't stoop to that kind of simplicity, okay? or oversimplification of things. But here's the second thing he does, and this is where it really starts to get fun. In verse 16, Jesus doesn't cave into complacency. See, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't go for simplicity or oversimplification, but he also doesn't withdraw and, and stop engaging. He doesn't do that. He's not complacent. So in verse 16, they brought him a coin, and he asked them, whose image is this, and whose inscription is it? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, to God what's God's. So here's, here's what's interesting about that. Whenever, uh, what, what, what had them so upset about this particular tax was that on the coin, on the Daenerys, it was, it was an image of, of, the, uh, of the emperor's um, profile. And on it, the inscription said something like, you know, Caesar, uh, son of God. And so it was blasphemous uh, to, the, to the Jews who said you shouldn't put an image of anything on anything. And uh, for them to carry that money around and use that money, it was blasphemous to them. They've, they you know, were, were very much against it. Uh, and then you know, this claiming to be God um, um, what was also offensive to them. Um, but here's the thing about those coins. Caesar minted those coins and distributed those coins out of his own wealth. Okay, so the coins in that day from which the tax was paid, where they were minted out of Caesar's own wealth. And so Jesus is saying, whose image is on this? Who does this belong to? Caesar. Then give Caesar what's his. It's his money. It's not your money. It's his money. He minted it. It has his image. But you don't have his image. See, that's where he's going next. And this is just brilliant. Jesus is awesome. We should follow him, okay? They brought the coin and they asked, and, and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose icon is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's. And he's, he's saying, you're absolutely right. This is Caesar's coin. And Caesar can do with his own money whatever he wants to do. This doesn't have any more bearing on you than that. But give back to Caesar. That's why uh, I, I like, you know, some translations say render, but that means give back. Give it back, it's his. What is Caesar's? But to God's what is God's. You don't have the image of Caesar on you. You have the image of God on you. Do not give yourself away to the state. Okay? Do not give yourself away to the state. That is not whose image is on you. Whose image is on you? God's image. Then give what is God's to God. It's yourself. Your idea, who you are belongs to God. That is one of the most powerful things I've ever read in Scripture. And, and a, I think a huge rebuke to those of us in the church 
who have put the image of a political party and lived under that image rather than seeing that first and foremost, it is the image of God that's on us and we belong to God in that way. Um, so whose image is it? Caesar, what inscription? What Caesar says about himself, fine, it's his, give it back to him. Now give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar only what has his image and give to God only what has his image. When we give ourselves away to the political system, we, have, we, 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 are, we are doing what um, uh, the Old Testament story of uh, Jacob and Esau, where uh, Esau sells his birthright for a, for a bowl of porridge. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we are selling ourselves out for political power. And if Jesus demonstrated anything, it is not through political power. That is not how he changed the world. And oh, that the Christian community would get that. Um, we're, still, we're still, you want to know the big reason why the world missed the arrival of Jesus when he was born? It's because they were looking for a political revolution. They were looking for a political revolution. Meanwhile, the king of Israel, the king of kings, lord of lords, was born of a virgin in a manger, and a bunch of smelly shepherds welcomed him. And meanwhile, the world was looking somewhere else. And uh, I don't know that a lot's changed. So Jesus does not allow for his followers to opt out and drop out of the political and cultural system. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You have a place here. You have a place to occupy. It is not your ultimate identity. It is not who owns you, and it is not sh what should consume you, but there is a place that you occupy. Okay, so in that, he was saying, pay the tax, but don't give yourself away. Okay, so um, Greg Forster um, wrote this. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but I'll he says, nowadays we hear it preached up and down the land that politics is downstream from culture. So here's culture and politics is downstream from culture. Politics simply reflects what culture values and it kind of trickles down and then, you know, the culture changes and then it starts getting reflected in the political climate, okay? And um, he said, it's certainly true that almost none of our most urgent problems will be cured or even significantly affected by one party or the other winning the next election. But in fact, politics is not downstream from culture. Politics is a part of culture. And some of our cultural problems are political problems that do demand political solutions. So purely cultural approaches will not work because the problems, some of the problems are political because they involve justice and law. But the political solution must simultaneously be a cultural solution, okay? So we don't opt out, we don't withdraw, we don't go hide behind a wall and, and say, well, I'm not going to be involved, I'm not going to vote, I'm not going to do any of that, um, because there are some things. Um, my friend Michael Ware, um, you know, uh, Michael Ware, I'd like to have him come speak here sometime, but Michael Ware, he is a devoted, devoted Christian. Uh, he is a Democrat, and he's part of the, the pro-life Democratic caucus. How many of you knew they were pro-life Democrats? Okay, good, good. Uh, he's part of the pro-life Democratic caucus, and um, he was the head of the Office of Faith Relations um, uh, under President Obama, but he's, he's a good friend of mine. And um, one of the things that he says about 
politics, I love his definition. He said, politics is that way that we can lean into and learn how to be the best neighbors. You know, how to, how to, how to be good neighbors to one another through law and through uh, programs and things like that. Um, and so he's been trying to make a Democrat out of me for a long time. I'm an independent, you know. Um, he's been trying to make a Democrat out of me for a long time. And then my father-in-law is trying to make a Republican out of me. And um, I, I'm in the Kevin party. Yeah. I'm, um, yeah. My, my political party only has candidates named Kevin. So, you know, uh, I want to get on the ticket with Kevin Bacon and, um, you know, um, uh, Kevin Bryant, you know. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Okay, but number three, Jesus, he doesn't give in to simplicity, he doesn't cave into complacency, and he doesn't polo- uh, promote political primacy. He doesn't allow for political supremacy or primacy, okay? He doesn't say that politics is the most important thing. He doesn't say that you can withdraw, but he also doesn't say that it's the most important thing. Mark 12, 17, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What he's saying there is, you guys relax. There's an authority over Caesar. Caesar's not the be all and end all. That's, that's why Peter, in, in the epistles of First and Second Peter, can, um, <laughs> uh, can, um, can say, uh, honor the emperor under Nero. Nero is in rule. He's not saying agree with the emperor. He's not saying, you know, he's not saying, oh, like the emperor. He's saying, honor the emperor. Recognize that there is an emperor and you can honor him but your allegiance is to God who is still sovereign no matter who is in political power. So there is an authority over Caesar and there's a better kingdom coming. And it's not coming by way of an idolatrous and misguided grab at political power. Okay? Jesus, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they, they will. We... Both parties really like money. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, be careful because there's always, there's always another side to, and I think that's part of, I think that's part of where we have to say, okay, this is what I think. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what is making me angry. And usually we get angry because we're afraid. And when we become afraid and angry because we feel like something's being taken from us. And, uh, and, and then, and, 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 and the thing is, I want to make it clear, not everybody is called to, to go out and be a, a political social warrior. Uh, but most of us, we just want to try to, uh, we want to try to do the best we can. And I think we do that by being as informed as we can. And I think the way that we try to get the best information is um, do our best to uh, not get all of our information from one source and spread it around and realize every piece of information you're hearing has an angle. And you, you have to start, and, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to get into all that, but um, uh, I think I think yeah, doing a Bible study on critical thinking and stuff like that would be would be good. 
Um, but, you know, kind of learning how to navigate and, and um, kind of filter things. But a lot of it, it kind of requires one realizing some of these problems have been problems for a long time. They're going to continue to be problems as long as human beings are, are running things. And um, our, our, best, our best posture is to be one of, of praying for our leaders, praying for wisdom, praying for our leaders, and then doing the best we can to find out whatever it is. You know, we can't, we can't get involved in everything. But if there's one thing, we hear a story and like, oh, that one gets to me. Okay, I'm going to try to do my best to find out as much as I can about that thing so that I can understand what's making me angry and why it's making me angry and um, try to respond to it the best I can by, by trying to find somebody who maybe agrees with that and try to find out where they're coming from. Because what I found is, is as, as, long as, as long as we um, keep referring to things, uh, referring to the people that we don't agree with as them, rather than, than saying, all right, who can I find that maybe thinks that way? and sit down with them and hey i don't get this uh where where how did you how did you get here and how did you get to this perspective and and, and things like that uh but it take it takes time and it takes a lot of patience neither one of which fit the narrative in our current if it bleeds it leads and uh and you know and some of that i, I think it's hard for us because, uh, you know, and I've, and I've had to kind of fight this battle in every church that I've served in, and I'm, so I'm, I'm sure it will happen here. When we get around election time, there will be folks who will want to distribute voter guides. And they'll, you know, we want to distribute our voter guide because it's going to inform Christians. And here's what I found about voter guides 100% of the time. Even a position that I vehemently disagree with, it's not being represented accurately on the voting guide. And, you know, I've got, I got friends who, who hold that view, and I know that that's not what they really believe. It's, it's, and, and then the people who have some of the views that I do agree with, I'm going, but that's not right either. It's being overstated, and it's overstated, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, help us. Um, so it's, it's taking, taking the time to try to find the best information we can. Yeah. Yes, sir. It does. It, it does. It's not a quick fix. And, it's, and see, that's not the kind of stuff that'll make headlines. It's, that's, that's not sexy, you know. Um, but that is where a lot of the solution lies. And it's, it's very personal. It's one-on-one. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, re- I remember a day when, you know, I would read about uh, some of these Congress people that would, they would debate you know, and then they'd go out for drinks after, you know, but now they're, you know, that's, that's not happening as, uh, as, as much, um, be, because it's been, it's been made so personal. Um, so, you know, there is, I, I think part of it definitely for Christians is kind of that slogan that kind of came, uh, 
came out during, uh, during some of the really heavy persecution times that Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And if Jesus is Lord, Biden is not. Jesus is Lord, Trump is not. Jesus is Lord, insert candidate here, is not. And um, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Well, and I think what you're talking about is something I wrote down here. Jesus refused to allow politics to be the primary way his followers connected with systems of power. Why? Because many of our problems are not primarily political, but they are cultural. And for the politics to change, the culture needs to change. And the culture around the politics needs to change. And that, to, to use a political term, I think that can only happen grassroots. You know, that happens when, when us, you know, and I think this is how the church can best be mobilized, is when we're willing to be those people Willing, willing to sit down and develop relationships with people that are not like us, that don't think like us, and come to not, not agreement necessarily, but understanding. And say, you know what, I, 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 may not, I may not agree with you, but I understand how you got there. And um, uh, I, 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 listened, I was listening to a podcast today, and there was a, uh, a, a debate that occurred um, this person, um, this person was uh, was um, Alan Jacobs, um, and he was talking about a debate that he attended, and he said it was he said it was the, uh, the the darndest thing. He said because they never actually got to the debate because the rules of the debate were you had to listen to the perspective of the opponent, and then you had to explain the perspective of the opponent until they were satisfied that you were capturing it correctly. He said that went on for two hours. They never began the debate because they could never, they, they, they could never get, they, one, neither side could ever get to where they were either able or willing, I think it was more willingness, to state the other's perspective in, in an accurate way. And so he said the debate, they ran out of time. The debate never happened. And uh, I think that's very telling. Um, and so we, we, we try to do the best we can um, to change the culture. And that's why part of a, a, a vision statement that I'm going to be rolling out pretty soon for Northside, one of the elements of that is that we have a vision to connect with culture. And that means that we take we, we, we take seriously being a faithful presence of influence and of, of information and understanding in our culture. And uh, we don't hide from culture, we don't, um, but we also don't assimilate with culture. We're present in it, but not of it. Uh, but we're not, you know, we're not criticizing every single thing. Um, and we're not going along just to get along. We're having a voice, an informed voice. Um, kind of something like what Wil Wilberforce did. Uh, what William Wilberforce did, um, I wrote this down. It said, his friends, they came to believe that culture is upstream from politics. Uh, that wasn't their language. But what they saw it as a, ref a reformation of manners. Okay, that's how Wilberforce 
uh, turn the tide of the opinion of slavery in, in, in Great Britain. Uh, they knew that the problem of slavery and the slave trade was not, first of all, a political problem, but a cultural problem. As long as the British people had no objection to the trafficking of human beings, the politicians wouldn't either. And Wilberforce knew this. In fact, because slavery was the economic engine of the empire, it would take a major reframing of the meaning of the commonwealth and therefore the common good of the English people for the laws to change. And so that's why Wilberforce started walking lawmakers through the slave ships, let it, making them see it, uh, see the horrors of it and the reality of it. That changed the culture, which changed the politics, which changed the law. So it is a long game. It's a long game. And it requires us to be shrewd as serpents and gentle as doves and present and, um, and wise and consistent. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, think this is, I think this is why some of us get frustrated with Jesus because Jesus didn't snap his fingers and, and cure political problems. Um, he said, we're not going to make it simplistic. You're not going to be complacent. We're not going to retreat. We're going to be present. But it's not going to be the overwhelming be-all and end-all and, uh, of your life. So what is it going to be? It's going to be sensibility. Sensibility. Uh, not simplicity, not complacency, not primacy, but Sensibility and presence, sensibility and presence. And I think we see this in Mark 12, 15, because the first time this dawned on me, I, I literally just went, no way, it can't be like that. You know, um, one of those times when I yelled at my Bible. But it's the fact that these people who are coming to challenge Jesus have the very coin in question on their person, and Jesus does not. He has to ask, so has anybody got a coin? Oh yeah, I happen to have one. There is so much right there. Should we pay this tax or not? Tell us, yes or no. Come down, Jesus. Come down on this side. If you say yes, you're in trouble. If you say no, you're in trouble. If you say nothing, you're in trouble, and it's all about this coin that we hate. You know what? I don't even have one. Do one of you guys have a coin? Oh, well, yes, I have it right here. Wow. The irony there is just so thick. Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it, because actually, I don't have one. <laughs> I love it. So, this is striking. Jesus' response demonstrates that he was present in the system, knew the system, and was also uh, an agent of subversion to the system. Okay, Jesus models what kind of presence we have. We have a presence that both defies and resonates with culture at the same time, resonates with it and defies it. He's familiar with it. He knew how it worked. He knew whose image was on it. He knew what the inscription said. He knew what they were really getting after. He knew what they were asking. And yet, here's the king, without a coin, um, talking about another king with all the power and saying, yes, he has authority, but he should not have you. He shouldn't have you. Because his image is not on you. My image is on you. So stop giving him, you, 
stop giving yourself to him. Give him what's his, you know, but stop giving yourself away to that, to, 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 to the system. Stop giving yourself away to this system. And so Jesus revealed a void, and uh, he, he kind of revealed the, the, the empty space that, sim- that simplicity brings because there's way more there than just this, this, and that. Um, he took, he took the, he kind of took the whole system and the whole scenario and turned it on its head. Um, and that's why they were amazed. That's really why they were amazed. Um, there's a lot more to it that we don't have time to get into, but that's kind of in a nutshell um, from that passage how I, th- how I think we, where we can gain wisdom on how to navigate the political landscape. You know, we're, because the way that the Christians kind of approach culture in, in several different ways. Um, one is fortification. Okay, we're going we're, we're gonna to withdraw. We're going you know, we're gonna, to we're gonna do everything to can, we can to kind of pull out a culture. We're going to hide behind big, thick walls and wait for Jesus to come. And, uh, and I tell you what, that is safe, um, but it's, it's not obedient. Jesus said in John 17, I'm sending him out into the world. Uh, so Jesus assumes that our presence isn't going to be hidden away. It's going to be out in the world. Uh, in it, not of it. Okay, so that's fortification. Well, that doesn't work. Um, other Christians... Uh, uh, they, they choose assimilation. Just go along to get along. And there's really no difference between our culture and the culture and the cultural systems of the world. Um, and, uh, you know, or, or others are um, domination. We've got to take it back. You know, we've got to impose our, 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 our values and our systems. And uh, to your point a while ago, yes, there are, there's a lot of things that happen in this world that I don't like. Um, but a lot of people doing a lot of things in this world, they're not followers of Jesus. So I don't expect them to. I don't expect them to do things the way that I do them. Um, I don't want them to impose that on me. But the Holy Spirit's going to have to do his work in their heart because it's not right for me to impose my, um, my values on them. Do I want to reach them for Christ? Yes, I do. But... I don't want to do what Christopher Columbus did and, you know, force it on people and oh, we're going to do this or we're going to break your neck or, you know, uh, you can add to your numbers that way, but I don't know that it's true conversions. Um, so, you know, so it's not domination because Jesus didn't promote domination in, in his time on earth. And it's not fortification. Jesus didn't hide out. And it's not assimilation. Jesus didn't go along to get along. Uh, the people most unlike Jesus like Jesus the most, and yet Jesus stood out. So it's incarnation. That's what Jesus did. He incarnated, and he went to where the people were. He built relationships with the people. Um, he he uh, accepted people while not approving of what they did. Um, he, he accepted them where they were, but loved them too much to let them stay there. Um, and he, he spoke, he did speak truth into their life by way of grace. And 
that's the model, and it's not simplistic, and it's not easy, and you're not going to grandstand with it. Um, so now that we all know how to navigate the political system, um, but do you see why it's not as simplistic as some on both sides of the aisle would have us, have us think? Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it, is, maybe it is that simple, but I haven't found it to be. I found that whenever we go to simplistic solutions, we, um, we, we, tend to, we tend to make a mess and form some unholy alliances that I think have hurt the church um, over the last couple of decades. Um, thoughts? Did, did, did it make you happy? I know. I know. Hey, that's what that political stuff does. It just draws out, man. Yeah, that's true. Um, because I remember when um, uh, remember when the prophet Samuel, uh, when when all the the people of Israel wanted a king, and they said, "Samuel, we want a king. Everybody else has got a king. We want a king." And so Samuel never agreed with that. Um, but here came Saul, head and shoulders above everybody, good looking dude, and uh, and all that. And so Saul anointed him king. And even though Saul never agreed with it, and even told Israel he didn't agree with it, I love what he said. He said, far be it from me that I should sin against God by ceasing to pray for you. That's what he said to King Saul. He did not agree with it. He didn't like it. He didn't think it was right. He was against it, you know. And he prayed diligently for Saul because, and it's inspired scripture, so that leads me to believe that when we refuse to pray for whoever's in power, we are, we are being disobedient to God. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm sure that's a better message than maybe a lot of the other mail they get. Yeah. Cool. Anything else on that? I, I know. I, yeah. I, I stretched that out as long as I could. <laughs> yes, sir. Right. I, I think that's true. I think that's true. And we, and that's, yeah, that's kind of what we've, you know, talked about here tonight, stumbled into. It's, it's, it's one-on-one. It's over coffee. It's over time. It's through relationships. And um, it's, yeah, it's not through grandstanding or screaming at people from across a picket line <laughs> that, you know. Um, I don't know. Have you ever, has anybody ever changed their mind after a really good, clever Facebook post. <laughs> Has that ever changed your mind? My goodness. I'm waiting for the day when I put something on Facebook and I get that message from someone saying, Kevin, Eureka, that's the, that's the status update I was waiting for. <laughs> but I, th- I, think, I think you're right. It's salt and light. It's salt and light. Do we trust the mustard seed? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, that's Paul, I think. Yeah, if I, I think. And, and the, the context is not political there. Oh, I know. Yeah. But, but I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finding the older I get. Now, when I was in my 20s and I knew everything, everything was black and white. And I was always right. Um, 
But uh, then, then, you know, then I lived a little. I was like, oh, I know nothing. Um, but I, the older I get, the more of life I see is gray. And I need, I don't just need Bible information. I need wisdom. And wisdom, godly wisdom is what helps us navigate so much, so much of that. But you're right. It, and yeah, it is, it's actually the, the verses, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And so it even gets twisted. Well, are you for me or against me? Well, no, that's from Star Wars. You know, you know that's from Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. If, not, if you're not for me, then you're my enemy. And uh, yeah, but it's, if God is for us, for us, who can be against us? Right. And it's... Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. You're right. Um, yep. So, so we, uh, we, we take those baby steps. We, we do life with people. And, you know, we take the long game and we play the long game. And, I mean, that's how, that's how Christians change the world. It was, it was through just consistently showing up and, and, and being there being that presence of love. Um, uh, I can do one of these fast. I can do one more fast. <laughs> or we can wait till next week. Um, I know, I know. Let's see. Uh, yeah, there's... Okay, yeah, I got this one. This one sounds this one sounds like it has a lot of teeth in it. It sounds really tough, but it's really it's really not. I'm this is the one I'm confused about something regarding the Trinity. If Jesus is fully God, God is fully in Jesus, then what did happen at the crucifixion when Jesus said, "My God, why have you forsaken me?" Did the Father leave the Son? And was the Trinity kind of split then? Um, did he cease to be God if that happened? Okay, the good thing is no and no. Okay, that's not what happened. Um, what there, there's been a there's been a lot of stuff said about why Jesus said that, what he was saying, what was happening, but but really what it comes down to is Jesus was doing there during his crucifixion what Jesus did in so many other at so many other times in his life when he was tempted by by Satan in the wilderness um, and when he was confronted by different uh, different authorities and powers he went back to scripture and so. Um, if you read Psalm 22, what you're going to find is that if you compare Psalm 22 with what is typically considered to be the, the, usually the seven last words of Jesus on the cross is usually how it's, how it's said, you will find those, you will find those things in Psalm 22. Now here's what, here's what, uh, what, what I learned a while back that, you know, this is consistent with other occasions where Jesus turns to Scripture. Um, there's also, it's part of Jewish custom for pious Jews, if possible, to die while quoting Psalm 22. It's a Jewish custom. And it follows the collection of words and sayings uh, from across the four Gospels, because when we get the seven last words of Jesus, it's taken from the different crucifixion accounts. So what I'm going to do is read Psalm 22 and see if some of this stuff sounds familiar. Okay? Uh, Psalm 22. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. Okay. 
Wow, this print is really small, even with my progressives here. Okay. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not, si- and, and, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Remember people saying to Jesus, let him save himself. Okay. Um, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions, tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint, and my heart is turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Remember, he said he was thirsty. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And this is where uh, it starts to build. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him for future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. That last phrase, he has done it, the Hebrew term there is asah. It means to complete, to create, or to finish. So, I don't think there was ever any sort of bifurcation of the Trinity. Um, I think what we find here is Jesus doing what devout Jews did at the time of death and quoting Psalm 22. And we find those, those echoes of it when you look across the different Gospels of the different things that he experienced and some of it that he said, that he quoted. And especially, you know, verse 1 the piercing of the hands and the feet later on, the uh, tearing of the flesh, the casting of lots for the clothes, the thirstiness. Uh, And then in 31, it is finished. It's done. He's done it. 
And so uh, I've heard sermons where it almost portrays Jesus as being in the depths of despair uh, whenever he cries out. But if, if, if he was quoting, if he were or, or chanting or reciting um, some or all of Psalm 22, um, that's a victory cry at the end. And you see where it starts to pick up. You know, you're far from me. Why have you forsaken me? All that. But I will bless you. I will proclaim your name. I, and there's this assurance uh, toward the end. And it builds in that crescendo of he has done it. Um, and he has done it for posterity, for a people yet unborn. Um, he has done it. So food for thought there. Um, I think it, what, it, what it does to, to me is it really captures even more of the humanity of Jesus in how he suffered and suffered faithfully, um, never for a moment losing uh, that, uh, that godness, if you will, while also taking our sin upon himself. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's that. <laughs> I, I think it was more Psalm 22 than anything else, and uh, it's good that we have it there. So I'll hang around for a few minutes if you want to talk afterwards, and next week, uh, if there are other questions added to these, wonderful. If not, we'll pick up the rest of these. Could Jesus have sinned? So in his humanity, when we're told that he was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin, well, could he, could he, was he even able to sin? And if so, what does that mean? So that and more next week. Bye-bye.